If I made you a promise that today we begin going faster at Ephesians. Now, I don't... I don't know if faster means longer, but we're going to find out. Just kidding. One quick thing that we're doing now is if you if you have been following it for a while, we're changing gears a little bit, and we're actually walking into a new section of Ephesians, which is God's prescription, His glorious prescription for the church. Anytime that we find that we need correction in some way, whether that be physically, whether that be mentally, and especially heart-wise, we've got to have a new directive. There's got to be a way to go. And what I love is that Paul has spent a lot of time showing us how blessed we are. Now, I know you've seen this ad nauseum, but please understand We have got to begin thinking correctly about God and His relationship to us before we will ever begin to start living in a way that glorifies Him. Best intentions won't work. Previous experiences won't work. There's so much that we bring to the table that would be best left off the table when it comes to the Lord. Why? Because everything that God desires to do in us is number one, through His Son, and number two, it's all brand new. It's all brand new. So when we approach subjects of life as we always have, we end up getting in trouble. Why? Because God's ways are new ways. They're Spirit-led ways. They're according to the truth ways. They always have the thrust of love in their ways. And what we find out very quickly is that God's ways are not our ways. What in the world am I going to do? And this is when we begin to abandon self. And we begin to take up our cross and follow Christ. So we have all the doctrine we've been given about knowing Him. We've talked about the practice of the church and the emphasis of unity. And now we move into the prescription that God would have us to take. So in doing so, let's get a running start from the previous section. And he gave some as apostles and some as, what's the word? Prophets, some as? Some as? And? Very good. Here's the reason why. For, this is the reason why I am here. The only reason why I exist in God's eternal plan me personally, is to uphold this end so that this is accomplished. That's a nasty arrow. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service. Every single person in here matters in the body of Christ. There are no throwaway Christians. Everyone has been redeemed purposefully and has something of which to fulfill. And what God has called us to do is never, you're not going to like this, what God has called us to do is never apart from the local church. It never is. If God called you somewhere else to do something, He called you in relation and connection to a local church. Why? Because that is Christ's body on earth 
earth. And we cannot manifest him to a dying world apart from connection to his body. So notice, it's the equipping of the saints for the work of service, that's ministry. Why? Because that builds up the body of Christ until, how long do we do this, guys? Until we all attain the unity of the faith. Are we unified in the faith? Practically, no. Spiritually, yes. And so what Paul is desiring is that our practice would mirror our position. Not only that, but that we would also have the knowledge. What is it, Sue Hall? Thank you, Sue Hall. (laughs) We have all kinds of problems. That's another sermon up here. I guess. The epignosis of the Son of God. What is that? That's the mature knowledge. God's desire for the church is maturity, and it's only accomplished in one way. Sorry, it's only accomplished in two ways. Number one, that our unity together would mirror what's already taken place that he's done in Christ for us. Number two, that we would so grow in a maturing knowledge of him. Why? Because when all that happens, we reach maturity, full-grownness, the full extent of the stature of everything that God ever desired for you to do. God has lofty plans for your life, but those plans are never in separation of the body of Christ. They're never in separation from his church. Notice, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, that means grow up, full-grown. And this is how you get there. As much as I love it, My regular diet of chocolate and coffee is not going to cause me to mature to the point that I need to be at. And so some changes have got to be made. And maybe I don't understand the practical unity, and maybe I'm not fully grasping a mature knowledge of Jesus yet. But I know that if I'm receiving the Word of God, I'm relying on the indwelling Holy Spirit, and I'm believing what I'm receiving then he is going to grow me up in his time. And that's the part that kind of gets us a little, "Mm, I don't know about that. Important quote, it's long. Please stick with me on it. Try to think through what it's saying. Because when I read it, I thought, wow, that really grabs it all. Most certain is it that each member of the body of Christ has his place. If you as a member fail to express your function where you belong in the body of Christ, It only proves that outwardly you have not lived for the Lord, nor inwardly have you been delivered from yourself. Had you truly been delivered from your own self, you would have spontaneously exhibited your particular office in the church, an office not like the offices we talked about, about where your spiritual gift is and how you play an integral part in the body. You as a brother or as a sister each have a measure or portion of a particular function in the church. However much you may feel you have been delivered from yourself and are living for the Lord, your feeling is not only inaccurate, but also a deception if you cannot manifest your function as a member in the church. If in fact you have been delivered from yourself and truly are living for the Lord, one thing in your life will be most certain, which is that you will automatically manifest in the body that portion of a special function or office which you have as a brother or sister. Why is that? 
Because if you don't care about what other people think, so all you care about is loving the Lord, and if you've recognized that holiness needs to be cultivated in our lives because the Lord has called us to greater things, then what happens is, is you're automatic flourishing within the body of Christ to build up fellow believers. So the hindrances that happen, sorry, the hindrance that happens in keeping us to achieve all that God would have for us is self. And we have a much greater meology than we have theology. We end up being in great trouble. God redeemed us out of that self. The self-life will profit nothing. And sometimes we wonder why we're spinning our wheels and we can't answer the age-old question, what is my purpose on earth? The purpose on earth is to live for the glory of God by following him wholly, entrusting him completely. That is the goal. And you might, well, that doesn't really resonate with me. It might be because we're not doing it. It's not until we get experience in the mix, putting feet on the word of God that we find that we start to move forward. Never for a moment think that because the grace you have received is so insignificant, you therefore have no place in the church. As long as you are a member, you have a definite function. There is no one having the life of God who is not a member of the body of Christ, and no member is so small as to have no function of his own. The less than the least of the members still has his function in the body, and that particular function cannot be replaced by any other member. No matter how tiny is that function, no one else can substitute it. Not even the greatest function in the body can stand in for the smallest one. None can take the place of the other. You cannot substitute for me, nor can I be a substitute for you. Oh, if we could see this, we would leap for joy. So when we talk about what it is to be communicating the Word of God, It's not because it's supposed to be left on the page and it's not supposed to be left in the pew. It is supposed to be embraced in the heart with a prayer that the Holy Spirit would make it active and living in our lives so as to change us, even though that might be painful, even though it may cause us to lay down some of the things that we hold dear so that we would be a resonating, resounding beauty within the body of Christ. God's goal for us is never malicious. It is always for the betterment. Or let me put it in a different way. God wants nothing more than for believers to be sold out to Him because He is so sold out for us. So as a result of that, we are no longer to be children. Okay? We cannot remain infantile. It's time to grow up. How do children look? They're tossed here and there by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Notice it starts teaching in the mind. By the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But, ha-ha, I love that word. 180 degree turn. Here we go. Here's how we do it. Speaking the truth in what? That's our modus operandi. That is the method of which we proceed forward. The truth has got to have central place and it's got to be communicated in an attitude of love. That's how things get going in the body of Christ. That's where you start. If you got the doctrine that you're embracing, how does it need to be manifested? Well, truth and love. It's, it's real simple. Notice, we are to grow up because that's how it happens. 
in all aspects, even to him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint, raise your hand. (laughs) This sounds so strange, but I'm going to say it. Raise your hand if you're a joint in the body of Christ. There we go. Keep it righteous, Jay. Every single person is a joint in the body of Christ, yes? Every every piece has to be moving, forgive me. Notice, according to the proper working, not the improper working, the proper working of each individual part. He's been talking about body unity for so long, and what's he saying? Every piece matters. Every part is significant. If you've ever had an ailment, if you've ever had an issue with your knee, and you can't bend the knee, but you're still trying to get where you go, you know that it's made it that much more difficult. And there's probably something in you that goes, Lord, if only the knee would bend. Why? Wouldn't it be so much easier? If we could only get some more bending in the body of Christ because the joints are working. Are you working in the body of Christ? Are you fully functioning? Are you doing the proper working? Not, well, I think God is serving this way. Stop for a second. What is your spiritual gift? No other age has had spiritual gifts. I know you guys are so sick of me saying this. It blows my mind that King David never had a spiritual gift. The church has spiritual gifts. How do we know that? Because when Jesus Christ died and was resurrected and he ascended, he led all of the captives captive away. And he took all the gifts and he distributed them to the church and said, here, be my body, exalt my name, keep me central, illuminate me, however you want to say that. But you do it because when you're operating your spiritual gift, it's the spirit working, not you. That's why it's spiritual gift. So notice, when this happens, what happens? It causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself. Can't miss it. It's indispensable in love. Everybody got that? Now here's the question that we have because Paul now moves into the prescription section. What keeps this from happening? What keeps body function from exploding? How come the church is not everything it ought to be? Great quote. Does it not seem strange that the generation with the most advanced technology... And the easiest to read Bible translations is the weakest generation of Christians in the history of our country. Church attendance has never been lower, and the Christian influence in our culture never weaker. Tozer wrote this 80 years ago. Eighty years ago. The NLT wasn't even a thing. But think about it. And yet when he looked out at the church as a whole across America, he saw destitution. What do you think he would think now? Is it wrong for us to wish that maybe Tozer would come preach one Sunday here? It'd probably kill him by the time he was done. We live in an insanely wicked age. And recognize this, I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about the church. Our country has so desecrated the bride of Christ, she's somewhat unrecognizable. 
And it's a concern for me. I can't afford to be concerned about other churches. That would flip me out too quickly. But it's a definite concern for me, and it should be for Rory and for Zach and for Marianne and anybody else that's serving here and staff to try to lead this forward, is to recognize that if we want anything to be seen at the marriage of the Lamb, we want Grace Bible Church to be seen as a spotless bride on that day of matrimony. We don't want her used up, washed up, handled, passed around time and time again, and that's what we're seeing in churches today. It is ultimate fornication because our churches are full of idolatry. We care more about people's feelings than we do what God has said on something. That is wrong. And so how is it that we have all of these wonderful things that are supposed to make life easier and should cause the church to reach farther, faster? What are we missing in this? Well, number one, let me say this. I think what we're finding is a lack of spirit-led ministry. What does the spirit want? What does God want? I mean, it's just a very simple question. What does God want out of Grace Bible Church? And then wait on him to provide that. I think that's a big number one. I will say this. Whatever I'm saying about this, recognize I'm not bashing our church. That's not what I'm saying at all. I think we all got little spots here and there where things maybe need to be improved. That's not a big deal. I understand we need to work on that. We need to pray about that. We need to remain humble and seek the word on that. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I'm absolutely appalled by some of the things I'm seeing in other congregations' places and that are touted. Let me give you an example. There was a guy that threw up on, on uh, Twitter, because that's the only place where I hang out at sometimes, this chart about biblical marriage. And he decided that, no, a biblical marriage, if you see, it's actually Abraham and Sarah and Hagar. That's a biblical marriage. And then you got this other person in the Old Testament, and they had this many wives. And then Solomon, that guy, what's wrong with him? He's got all these ladies. And these are what biblical marriage is. And I couldn't help but to raise my hand on there in an electronic way and say, how come you didn't start with Adam and Eve? That's where God starts. God started with Adam and Eve, one man, one woman, before sin, and said, this is the way it ought to look. And what's amazing about this is, is when I checked his profile, he is a social justice warrior pastor. You know what that tells me? He doesn't believe the Word of God. That's where we are. It has a large, large congregation. How do we move forward on this? Here we go. Number one, put off the old man. I tried to get a bear's hat and a packer's hat. So I could illustrate for you guys vividly what this is going to look like. But look here in verse 17. Here's where we're going to start. Number one, we got to put off the old man. Look at this. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord. In other words, affirm together. Here's a testimony or a declaration that the Lord has taught Paul of which he has come to. Yes, this is absolutely right. And he wants to communicate to the Ephesians. He says here that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles walk. Everybody see the negative. Walk, what's another word for walk? What's that really mean? You live no longer just as the Gentiles live or also walk. Let's break this down real quick. This word right here is where we get the word. You're familiar with it, ethnos. It means nations. But what's interesting is overwhelmingly the connotation has to do with this in the New Testament. 
pagans, heathens. You are no longer to live like a pagan. That's what he tells this church. Now, here's the implication behind this. If you're not to walk like a pagan anymore, and he's writing to Christians, what does that tell you that some Christians are able to do? They're able to walk like pagans. You're able to live your life in such a way as a believer in Christ that does not represent or identify with Christ in some way. You say, how can that be? Because we did nothing to earn our salvation. Our salvation is a free gift. It was not contingent upon good behavior that we were allowed to keep it. This whole idea that you can lose your salvation is heresy. And the reason is, is because God promised eternal life. That's forever life. And if it's conditioned on anything that I have to do to be accepted or that I will do to follow through, then we're ultimately saying that salvation rests on my performance, not the perfect work of Jesus. So we can't afford to get deluded in this idea that Christians can't do crazy things. Let me give you some examples of some if you want to write them down. We're not going to turn there, but I want to give them to you real quick. Number one, fear of association. Nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue for they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Well, then they weren't really saved. Stop. They believed in him, and that him is Jesus. Yet they were scared to death to be publicly associated with him. Maybe your Christianity looks a little bit different once you enter Madison City Limits. It would be that equivalent. Maybe it's whenever you're hanging out with your friends, and not that you got to be like, I'm a Christian, guys. You don't have to be like that. Nobody's saying be belligerent. But it's almost the idea that we find some sort of odd shame that comes over us when we're around some people who may not believe as we believe and we feel the need that we might have to compromise or cower or hide. It's like all of a sudden we ended up on the view and we feel like that we can't even give our point out there. Some of you get that. How about this, sexual deviancy? It is actually reported that there is immorality among you. Church. Now, this is Corinth. We're not surprised, right? An immorality of such a kind that does not exist even among the Gentiles. That blows my mind. Church, you believer people are doing stuff that pagans don't do. That someone has his father's wife. Yeah, and all God's people said, ooh or ew, right? Both of them. Here's a, here, here, never mind. <laughs> Scripture says it's possible and still be saved. In fact, later on it says, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit is saved on the day of the Lord. In other words, if he wants to live in such a way that it actually is more satanic than it is godly, then great. Let him live, cast him out of the church. Let him live out his sin and he will die in that sin but he didn't lose his salvation. Now, when he gets before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ, he got a lot of explaining to do, okay? What in the world was going on here? That, that, that's going to be an interesting conversation that only happens between him and the Lord. But recognize it's possible. How about blasphemy? This I command, uh, this command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, 
which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regarding in regard to their faith. So notice that Paul believes that they're saved. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. Saved people. Kim, don't ever name your kid Hymenaeus or Alexander. Got it? Okay. Scratch them right off. Not good. How about false teaching? Believers can get into this. Two churches of Revelation. But I have a few things against you because you have there some who hold to the teachings of Balaam who keep teaching, uh, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit acts of immorality. Immorality, porneia, sexual immorality. The next one, but I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality, sexual immorality, and eat things sacrificed to idols. We were not called to live this way. Can you be saved and do these things? Yes, but recognize this. Though the Lord loves you, his hand is against you. What were we told? Ephesians 4.1 Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy with all the graces that have been shed and it brings the scale in this way. Live in a way that seeks to balance the grace that the Lord has given you. Not that we'll ever be able to do it and not that we ever pay him back, but recognizing and taking advantage of all the blessings that he's gloriously heaped upon us. How do you do that? We have a new life to live. We can't afford to live like pagans anymore. We can't afford to make pagan decisions. We can't afford to do our taxes in a pagan way. That time's coming up. Good time to talk about it. Hopefully the Holy Spirit convicts. If you've been cheating on your taxes, stop it. That's what pagans do. Be honest. Live as the Lord has called you to live in truth, in love, in honesty, in integrity about these things. If church lacks anything, it lacks integrity. Oftentimes our word doesn't mean much when we want to share the gospel because our lives haven't meant much in relation to what Christ has done. That's a problem. Notice the calling here. What was our calling? Man, I quizzed you guys on this a lot. Went home crying like a little child sometimes because you missed it, but that's okay. He says here, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in us, the saints? We're the saints. So our calling is to recognize I am everything that God has ever wanted in life. And he provided everything to create a bridge in order to bring me from where I was on an island into his glorious abode. And my calling, therefore, is to reflect his goodness to the world. That's the calling because we are his inheritance. He's excited to get us in the end. Now, back to chapter 4, verse 17. So I say this and affirm together with the Lord that you no longer walk as the Gentiles also walk. Here's how they walk. Pay attention. I'd lined it out a little bit for us so that we would get it. So if you want to mark it in your booklet or whatever, That's great. Please do that. A, notice the qualities of paganism here. It starts with the futility of their mind. The word futility is the idea of having no value whatsoever, 
or it's being vanity. The Old Testament idea, if you were looking at Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanity, all is vanity. It's the idea of being outside on a cold day and you exhale through your mouth and you see your breath for just a second and then it immediately dissipates and you couldn't grasp it. That's the idea of vanity. It looked like something for a second and then it was gone. It's emptiness. Now notice, this emptiness, this futility, this uselessness, valuelessness, Notice where it's found. It always starts here. It's always about how we think. Recognize, mind is not brain, okay? Brain is the hard drive. Mind is the software. The brain simply stores it. The mind is the operating system that runs it. And this is why when Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, get Scripture in there and get reprogrammed. Only doctrine can do that. That's why the first three chapters are so important. So notice the futility of their minds. Notice this, being darkened. Sounds like inner sanctum, something like that, right? Be darkened in their understanding. The idea of darkened. Here's what's interesting is, this is what's known in, in the Greek as being in the present tense, which means it's something that happened in the past and it has long-lasting results up until the present time. There's a darkening that has taken place. Another way that some people have translated this is this. Sorry, I don't have a lot of room. Blinded. In your understanding. The word understanding here is dianoia. It's the idea of emotion and intellect. So intellectually and emotionally, blind not able to think straight about anything. Irrationality that has a lot of, I don't know. What's another good word for emotion? Fanaticism attached to it. It, it, It's completely incomprehensible. And notice this, it's also excluded from the life of God. Now, we saw this back in chapter 2, was it 12? Yes, And the idea is estranged or alienated from God's life. Now, how did they end up that way? What is that? Number one, we're all born into this life as sinners. It's not just because we sin. It's because we have a constitution to sin. It's our sin nature. It's a big problem we have now as Christians. How do I deal with my sin nature, the propensity that still wants to sin? Well, notice here the reason that's given is, number one, because of the ignorance that is in them. Now, this word ignorance here is a little bit different because... It means to be unaware of something that is where? In them. Where does sin start? Within. In other words, if people are left unaware, they can't help but to go forward with what they have, and what they have is not much. It's not anything according to the truth. Not only that, but because of the hardness of their heart. Everybody see this word hardness here? Very important. Stubborn. Pause for a second. Do you realize that if you're stubborn about anything other than doctrine, you're acting like a pagan? Think about it for a second. I will be immovable all day long about the deity of Christ, about His atoning sacrifice for us, about the fact that God created the world in the beginning, in six literal days. I will be staunch 
about those things. But when I become stubborn about issues that are really non-issues, eternally speaking, according to the truth of God's Word, then what I am doing is I am asserting self and I'm operating from something less than a biblical conviction. And if it's less than a biblical conviction, it's a lie. This is the one, one of the ways that Satan tries to get us. We think we're entitled to a lot of things. We think we're entitled to so much more. And what we find out is when you boil it all down, usually it's because we have this sinful desire to be met or needed in some way that we think that God can't supply. Aren't we told that He will meet all your needs in Christ Jesus? The problem is, is maybe we've confused needs with wants. And we actually found out it's our wants that are getting us in trouble that are separated from biblical convictions of which we would be stubborn about. And that causes us to recognize ourselves more as paganism than we do as Christianity. Why? Because Christianity is a giving of self belief system. It is not a the one with the most toys and dies win system. So we can't afford to be stubborn on things that are not crucial doctrinal issues, period. Now, here's what's interesting about this. is not just the reason for their state. What does the practice of paganism look like? They have become callous. The lack of understanding and the hardness of heart demonstrates a callousness. And here's what's interesting is, we know what this is. This is the only time this word is ever used in the New Testament. I remember one time I took a DC electricity class. Long time ago, I used to work on vending machines. And the guy's like, why don't you take a DC electricity class? I'll play for it. I'm like, yeah, this is cool. I can tell you one thing I learned. Except probably D and C were the grades I made in that class, okay? That's probably what it was. But they had guys in the local school system who were electricians and and workers there who were teaching the class. And you used to have these old guys who had ridiculous amounts of calluses on their hands that would go to find out if a wire was live or not, and they'd just grab it and tell you. Yeah. And what would we do maybe today? Hair fall out. We're a little burnt. Yeah. Not for them. They just be like, yeah, it's live. We don't want to mess with it. Why is it? They had a ridiculous amount of calluses that had been built up on their hands so they can do it. Anytime they come to you in the Mexican restaurant with the hot plates and you're like, why is that person not got a pot holder in their hand? Because they have so much calluses that they can hold coals of fire and it doesn't matter. Here you are. You touch it, you <laughs> try to move it where it goes. That's what happens. It's the same type of idea. Paganism is characterized by an unfeeling. Have you ever met people who aren't Christians who are just absolutely not caring about anything? Could care less about the things that are going on around them, the atrocities, how people are getting hurt. Well, as long as they don't bother me, it's fine. There's a callousness that we have, an unfeelingness. You usually find it in this. Don't bother me with that. Leave me alone. There's a lack of care. There's a lack of concern. That's how pagans act. It's okay, Antonio. Notice, having, watch this, given themselves over, personal responsibility, It's nobody's fault but theirs. You can't blame other people. You can't blame your parents. Sorry, guys. 
Can't blame the government. Sorry. Can't blame your kids. This is something you've got to have come to terms with. The pagan will give themselves over because of their unawareness, because of their hardness of heart, and because they are putting themselves in a situation that is beyond feeling for people in their life situation. They will now find a way to manifest that in sensuality. And real quick, I did a lot of study on this word, so bear with me and please think it's impressive. But it's the idea of abandoning boundaries. It's the idea of looking at the field that says radioactive and the person looking at you and going, let's go for a walk. No. They love to go in places where they should not go. And in all of this, and that's what's interesting, there's an innate sense, there's an internal mark that God has put in us. We're told in Romans 2, he's written his law on our hearts that our consciences will actually agree with what we've done or accuse us on the day of judgment. God has given us an internal measurement. And the idea of becoming callous is whenever you decide to shut conscience off and walk forward. Notice, it's over to sensuality. It's the idea of abandoning. Where am I at? Abandoning. Excuse me. There it is. Okay. It's also translated licentiousness. It is always it is always in Scripture, coupled in the context with something sexual in nature. Always. You want to know a false teacher? Check out their sex life. Ask them what it's like. You want to find out whether or not somebody's living right on for the Lord? As a brother and sister, lovingly, humbly, inquire graciously about where they stand with the Lord. Not that we're trying to paint them all across the pages of the National Enquirer, but because we are trying to encourage them to live for the Lord. Put off the pagan. Notice, it's not just sensuality. It's for the practice of every kind of impurity. Doesn't matter what it was. With, notice this, greediness. I can't even spell this word, but I'm going to try it insatiables shouldn't be plural insatiable it's never enough i've got to be filled i can never get it more 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 i've always got to have this strange desire met stop for a second guys i'm not saying this is you but what is paul trying to do here if these are qualities that characterize your life's being and life's choices, and you have come to faith in Christ, take that pagan off. That's what the word means. It's the idea of getting rid of an old dirty shirt. That's why I wanted the hats. Get rid of that old bear's hat. Throw it away. See, now I'm resonating with you. That's good. It has no use here. It's callous. It's beyond feeling, beyond winning. It's beyond those things. Understand this. I say this sincerely. This might be you. You might be thinking right now, walking through these things. You feel your flesh getting a little hot. The Holy Spirit might be bringing conviction on your life and you might say, yeah, I, I love this world. 
I'm a world lover more than I am a Jesus lover. Recognize this. The condition for salvation is not, you better love me. That's discipleship. That's not salvation. But if you have come to faith in Christ, you have believed in Him, you have eternal life, and you have a storehouse of grace that is waiting to be taken advantage of. In fact, let me say it this way, if you find yourself more identifying with these qualities of a pagan, it doesn't have to be that way. God has provided a better way. God has opened a greater door. God has opened a gracious door. To say, I know you don't deserve to walk in this freeness of the Spirit, but it's everything I died to give you. Please do it. There's nothing worse than being given an expensive gift and casting it to the side. Or it meant a lot to the giver, but the recipient was like, hey, this is great. It's completely in their possession, but they're just not using it. And you see all the areas of their life of where it would benefit and help. They just can't come to terms. So that's why we encourage. We get alone and we have those hard conversations, not to shame our brothers and sisters, but to love our brothers and sisters to the truth so that they will begin to embrace it. Conviction will take place because the Holy Spirit has illuminated it and they will begin to flourish into the mature manhood that God died to give them. There's a better life to live. How do we deal with this? Here it is. Christ teaches a better way. There's a better way to live, and Christ gives it. Look at verse 20 here. It says here, But you did not learn Christ in this way. In this way? You didn't learn Christ in a pagan idea. Now notice this. Learn tells me that there is previous teaching that has gone on. The fact that he wants to invoke but here is the idea that it's a 180 degree turnaround. If this is you, it doesn't have to be you. You just need to receive gladly everything that you've been taught. Again, don't leave the Bible on the page or in the pew. Take it with you. So notice, you did not learn Christ in this way. If, everybody see this word if? Pause for a second. If, this is what's known as a conditional clause. But the idea is, is that this if is not how we use if. If it doesn't rain, I'm going to mow the yard. There's a contingency here that's going on based on circumstances. That's not how this if is used. This if is, I got true things to tell you, it's true. That's what this is. So sometimes we could look at this, depending on the context, and we could say, since, since indeed you have heard him, Christ, and have been taught in him. Right? That's the learning. Why does that matter? Because the truth is only in Jesus. It's in nobody else. Think about this for a second. Do you believe that? Don't answer out loud. But think for just a second. Really think about it. Do you believe that apart from Jesus Christ, there is no truth? That's the claim that this is making. Just as truth is in Jesus. You know what that tells me? Truth is a person. 
It's not a concept. It's not an equation. It's not an argument. It's not a philosophy. It's a person. It's Jesus Christ. All things were put forward in order to prepare for Him. All things that continue afterwards are explanatory of Him, but He is the pinnacle of knowledge. Or let's say it this way, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Until you come under this reverence of recognizing that nothing can be true apart from Jesus Christ Himself, we will not begin to grow forward. So notice what he's saying here. This ain't the way you learned it. You learned better. You've been taught better. Is that even good grammar? Okay, thank you. You've been taught better. Notice it's not compatible with the pagan way of thinking. Since you have heard Him, so your knowledge is impacted, you've been taught in Him, instruction has been given, but it all centers around one subject, Jesus 101. It is all about Christ. Notice they've been given instruction. Now here's what it is, verse 22, that in reference to your former manner of life, who you used to be, I hope this word is not offensive. We were all pagans before we came to Christ. We all were heathens before we came to Christ. We all had something that we worshipped. I'm so tired of Taylor Swift taking over the NFL. I digress. But we all used to worship something. We all we used to have something that fueled us. It's usually characterized by lust or a desire that had to be met. Or an expectation we had or a reputation that we wanted to achieve. Working our way up the corporate ladder. Well, if anybody in this room is going to be the best, it's got to be me. I'm the smartest person in the room. And we laid all these expectations of what we considered to be value and worth and recognized this. Those are all idols. And they were all crucified at the cross. So notice, in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self. Now, I'm not going to do this, but the idea is take off your shirt and throw it away. That's what it is. <laughs> You know what? Let's pause for a moment and <laughs> sway our hearts out before the Lord. You don't have to wear the old you. You don't have to. Jesus set you free from it. Some people go their entire lives bound up in complete bondage over things that they did or that were done to them in the past. You know what's amazing? Jesus nailed all that to the cross and died for it. He paid for it. Did He set us spiritually free? Absolutely. But recognize this. The life is not just eternal. He wants you to have it abundantly in the here and now, right now. Whatever has shamed you from making godly decisions, it was nailed. Lay it down. Whatever choices that you feel like you can't get out of because you're addicted in some way, great. Jesus gives the open door to lay it down. Well, it's not just that easy. No, it's not. Because the world, the flesh, and the devil are all now against you. And you have a bullseye right here. Child of God. Enemy number one. Absolutely. 
But you have something now that you did not have in your pagan life when you agreed with the world, flesh, and the devil and marched in that way. You have Christ. You have the Son of God crucified for your sins and the sins of the world who has offered you life by His name and has taken His blood and wiped that bill clean. You realize that when God looks at your bill of sale, it's white as snow? Well, yeah, I believe that. Great. Put feet on it. Put thinking around it. Lay your hands on your salvation and live it. That's what he's saying. Because this sin-entrapped carcass that we keep carrying around is only weighing us down. We cannot run the race successfully. We will never have practical unity and we cannot come into a mature knowledge of Jesus Christ. We can't be everything that Jesus died to make us if we continue to hold on to the old man. Cut the cords. Cast it to the ground. Take it off. Throw it away. It has no place on you anymore. Notice what it says. Which is being. Everybody see this verb tense here? which is being corrupted. Do you know what this means? You're like, well, how do I get rid of the flesh? Not the body. Body's good. Body good, flesh bad. Remember that, okay? God likes your body. He made it, okay? So he's a fan of it. But the flesh is the sin nature within us. Notice that it says here that the old self, the old man, is being corrupted right now, which means... That living my life myself only gets worse and worse and worse as time goes on. This is why Jesus tells us in John 6, the flesh profits nothing. The flesh leads to death. Nothing comes out of that that is good, but it was a good plan. God wasn't in it. Do you really want to use that one? Paul says it this way. For if you're living according to the flesh, writing to Christians, Romans 8, if you're living according to the flesh, this is the problem. The old man, you must die. Not that you're going to be put to death, but the idea is there's nowhere else to go. It's running your car full on 90 miles an hour into a brick wall with no seatbelt on. You're done. That's what the flesh does. But if by the Spirit, how? You are putting to death. Everybody see that verb tense? Ongoing. It's ongoing. It's got to be done moment by moment. You're putting to death the deeds of the body, and that is the flesh, the old man. You will live. How? Abundantly. Is the Holy Spirit the author of Scripture? Okay, six of you believe that. How about everybody else? Is the Holy Spirit the author of Scripture? Yes, that tells you right here what the key is. By the Spirit, doctrine. The Holy Spirit wants nothing more than doctrine to be fed into you. The Holy Spirit is a spark that's sitting there waiting. Anybody love starting a fire in, in, a, in a legal way? <laughs> I want to scratch your inner arsonist here. but <laughs> And you know that you bring the logs up, put it in, Get it going, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. This is the Word of God 
being fed into the Spirit. And maybe the reason why we find that the paganism shirt is so hard to take off and cast from us is because the spark of the Holy Spirit is almost smoldering because we're not receiving and embracing the Word of God. The Word of God is the means that creates different living in us by which we put to death the flesh. Why? Because all of a sudden you recognize I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live in the flesh, I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Galatians 2.20. Paul understood this. He understood, yes, doctrine is amazing, but my fat head will get me nowhere. So I put feet on it and I live it out and I recognize pagan ways and thinking and methods in my life and I seek to cast them from me and replace them with the truth of God's word. All of a sudden, my stubbornness becomes patience and flexibility. What in the world happened to you? You used to be the most impatient person ever. When it's a fruit of the Spirit, you don't have to worry about changing. It's God changing you. It's not, I got a purpose out in order to do something brand new now. Well, I need to have a New Year's resolution and a correct way of living. Stop. Receive the implanted Word of God, which is meant to save your soul. That's what it does to save your mind, will, and emotions. That's the change agent. It's always the Word of God. It's always the Word of God. He says here, put off the old self, get that paganism out of here, and you be, good word, renewed in the spirit of your mind. In the spirit, not in your mind. Notice it doesn't say that. In the spirit of your mind. In the very essence of your thinking that so resonates with God. Cultivate that. I was talking with somebody this past week, going through a hard time. They said, what book of the Bible should I read in order to move forward? Pause for a second. There are some situations in life where we just need little milepost scriptures. We got a whole wall full of them back there. That rack is still full. Shouldn't be, but it is. Go through and read those scriptures and find one. You say, yes, this is the truth I need in my life. I am so struggling with the security of my salvation. But then I pick up Romans 8, 38 and 39, and I recognize that nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. I have this shame and this guilt that is so overshadowing me. I'm so scared that God is mad at me, and yet he was supposed to save me. Why is God so mad at me? But then I pick up Romans 8, 1, and I recognize there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And just as Jesus did with Satan, You pull out Scripture and you nail this thing to the wall. And you say, because of the truth of God's Word, I will not be had. I am owned by another. I am blood-bought. And I have a brand new life to live. This old life, no bearing. See, this is the deceit. Satan wants you to think that all God did was save you. And I mean, That's not here yet, so what good is that? I mean, you won't even really know if it really happened until you get there. See how evil Satan is? And this is when you've got to come out with some holy Christian throwing stars and 
deal with that. Because only the Word of God can. And if we don't have the Word of God, you have nothing. Recognize this. You will be easy prey. It says that Satan goes around on the earth as a lion looking for somebody to devour. He's not worried about devouring lost people. He's already got them. He's worried about chewing up Christians and spitting them out for everyone to see. And if we don't have the Word of God, if we're not living in this new life that He's given us, then it's almost like we're welcoming Him to come in. Ha, <laughs> New shirt, new shirt. Old shirt! Yeah! We're going after Sherry. Why? Because she's still wearing the old man. She has, yeah, Rutro is right. She has the new shirt. But you know what? She's kind of at home in the old one. She knows what to expect. It's comfortable. Pause for a second. The Israelites said, Moses, why did you bring us out here to die? Why can't we go back to Egypt where there's this nice, comfortable slavery and we're getting beaten all day long? That's the place to be, man. They even come to a conclusion. Let's overthrow Moses, appoint a new leader, and go back. Paganism. It is a pagan thought to find comfort in sin. It's everything that cost Christ his life. It is incompatible to the greatest degree. Notice he says here, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Right thinking has to happen before right living will take place. We have got to think according to the Word of God, which means we have to be embracing and receiving the Word of God. And then it says, put on the new self. Take off the old self. Get your mind right in Scriptures, and then you can put on the new shirt. You can now live the new life because you're thinking according to the new life that is given. Or let me say it this way. Doctrine, then... living doctrine first living second living first without doctrine is good intentions with sin getting my mind right about who god is what christ has done for me what he says about me and how i should move forward in loving other people striving for the practical unity of the faith and a mature knowledge in jesus christ that's doctrinally motivated and it creates healthy boundaries to recognize what's acceptable and what's not. So I take off the old shirt. I get my mind correct according to the Word of God. And I move forward with brand new clothes. Girl, don't pretend I didn't just resonate with you when I talk about some brand new clothes. Let's be honest. How many of you ladies like to get a set of brand new clothes? Yeah? Go out and wear it, right? You look so good today. Thank you. I happen to have on my brand new clothes, right? Some of you were so excited to go to your closet and pick up that 12 jersey and be like, gone, because you just got in the mail a brand new 10 jersey, and you hung it in the closet, and uh, kind of radiates a little bit when you open the closet doors, brand new clothes. Guess what? Jesus died to give you an entirely brand new wardrobe. That brand new self is not a better you. 
It's not a reconformed you. It's not a reconstructed you. It's not a molded, made, and shaped you. It's not an under submission to the Daniel plan, diet, whatever that weird, messed up stuff that Rick Warren came out with plan. The new you is Christ. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, the old self us wants to charge forward. This is the whole idea of throwing handcuffs on the old self, getting in the backseat of the squad car and letting Jesus drive the squad car. That way he knows where we're going. He will get us there safely. Notice, the new self, all about it, which in the likeness of God. Everybody see this as italics? means it's not in the original. It's put there in order to help us, which is a good thing. Translators did that is a, is a good thing, want to do that. But if we were to take it out, does it still make sense? Look what it says. Which in God has been what? Created. That's everything that God's about, isn't it? God's a creator of brand new things. In fact, the idea here is that it's something that never existed before, and yet he makes it specially because of you. Because of you coming to faith in Christ. Can you imagine? God's like, well, I got this new self for you. Here it is. Put it on. How's it fit? He's a good tailor, by the way. He wants us to live in that. Notice, it's been created in righteousness, right actions, holiness, piety, set-apartness unto God. But here's what's interesting by him bringing this up. We may not recognize at the beginning. Pay attention. This is all about our position in Christ. I mean, think about it. You hear the gospel. Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose from the grave. Would you like to believe in Christ? Have you ever believed in Christ? You have the opportunity to place your faith in Christ. You immediately at that moment are submerged into the body of Christ. You're submerged by the Spirit into Christ Himself. You're now fully identified with Him. And in doing so, you have all these brand new things that He has done for you that you never realized you had before. And one thing that you find out is is that positionally speaking, which means it had nothing to do with you, He just picked you up and set you there in a spiritual realm. You have righteousness and holiness that's available to you. So when he created this new you, everything he created about the new you is everything to do with Jesus and therefore it's everything to do with righteousness and it's everything to do with holiness. It's not that you've got to cultivate righteousness and you've got to cultivate holiness. It's a fact that it's already there for you. It's an already blessing given to you. It's grace. But I don't deserve righteousness and holiness. You're right. Neither do I. But the fact is, this is the garment he told us to put on, whether we feel worthy of wearing it or not. Christ freely says, here. Here. Notice that it's righteousness and holiness of the truth. Now pause for a second. The truth is in who? It's in Jesus. The new self is Christ. It's no longer us. Get rid of it. You don't need it. We often are fooled, deceived that we need it. The cravings and desires and lusts that we have try to convince us that we need it. Recognize those are feelings and they're not facts. The Word of God tells us there's been a better way and Jesus has done it all. So, here's the question. Don't have to answer out loud. Which man are you wearing? I mean, this is really where the rubber meets the road. We are in the application section of Ephesians. 
if everything that God has done for us is true and we can read about it in the first three chapters and we think, wow, this is amazing. This is mind-blowing. Great. And it was meant to change your life so that you walk in a worthy way. What man are you wearing? What shirt do you have on right now? You might say, well, Christ. Great. I hope we're saying that in a non-boastful way with humility, integrity, coming to that conclusion, and that's okay. We can do that. Maybe it's a situation where you're saying, you know what, I am wearing this old man. You know, I, I put on extra cologne to smell good when I walk in these doors, but outside of here, I'm a pagan. I live like the world. I live like the devil. Nobody can care less. Recognize this. Jesus still loves you, but he also provided a better way. And he gives you the opportunity to come to terms with that. He'll only let you go so long before he will paddle you. And Jesus has no problem paddling us. He does so lovingly. He does so graciously. You might say, man, I'm not really for sure. How in the world do I tell what shirt I'm wearing? Your life choices will tell you. Do you embrace the Word of God? Do you pick up your Bible between here and next Sunday? Are you looking for a way in order to get the truth into other people's lives? Are you fellowshipping with your brothers and sisters? Are you building one another up? Like Watchman Nee said, have you recognized that as part of the body of Christ, you've recognized itself isn't going to accomplish that? So I need to do what Jesus said and deny myself, take up my cross and follow him, and all of a sudden I will find a flourishing, solid, indispensable part in the local body because nobody else could have done it but me because God called me to do that. And so now I'm living out God's purposes for everything he wanted, but it's always in connection with the local church. There might be some other ways to think through this. Are you so caring about your reputation that you're not willing to admit when you're wrong? If I were to go to your house right now and flip on your computer, would I find a cache full of pornography that you've been looking at for months? Let's not pretend that these things don't happen. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have had to say, stop living like Gentiles. Recognize that you can live in Christ. Pray about it. And we will be here up front afterwards if you want to pray with us about it. Let's pray. Father, thank You that in the mercy of Jesus Christ our Lord, You have already set us apart for Your purposes. The question is, is are we living out those purposes? Do we find ourselves characterized by pagan life? Do we find ourselves darkened in our understanding? Do we find ourselves feeling alienated from You? Do we find ourselves in hardness of heart? Do we find ourselves emotionally irrational and all over the place? Are we callous to even feeling the hurts and the effects of sin around us? Lord, we have not learned Christ that way. Your Word tells us that Your Son Jesus provides a better way. And that's the whole point of why we come together to receive the truth is to examine our lives in light of Your glory and knowing that You desire for us to be in lockstep with You to find out where our footprints are wrong. 
Thank you, Lord, that you haven't abandoned us. Thank you, Lord, that if we are wayward and and walking like pagans, that you don't cast us away. Instead, you call us to cast that away, to take off that old shirt, to throw it to the side, to get the spirit of our minds renewed. And we can only do that by the word of God and to put on the new man, the new man that you created purposefully, successfully in righteousness and holiness of the truth of Jesus. Father, thank you that you've called us to so much more than we could ever imagine in our lives. Help us, Lord, to get a glimpse in this. If we find ourselves obstinate to these things that your word espouses, please break our hearts. Please show us where humility is needed. Please show us where decisive action must take place. We thank you that you've given us everything we need for life and godliness. And it's all found in your Son.